Hello, I'm Dr Naomi Richards and I'm Director of the Glasgow End of Life Studies Group. You're listening to an End of Life podcast. In this podcast, recorded in December 2020, I spoke to Dr Marion Craswick, my colleague at the Glasgow End of Life Studies Group, and her co-author and collaborator, Mary Lynn Rush, about their recently published paper called Describing the End-of-Life Doula Role and Practices of Care, Perspectives from Four Countries. This article was published in December in the Journal of Palliative Care and Social Practice. Mary Lynn Rush is herself a doula and a long-term advocate, educator and community practitioner. One of the big findings from the study was around uh, nomenclature. Um, So how uh, the words that um, doulas use to identify their role. And your participants mentioned no less than 21 different titles for their role, which is quite extraordinary. Why do you think there are so many different titles? Um, And do you think you can be confident that they all point to one discrete role? Thank you so much for having us, Naomi. It's wonderful to, to be so- talking with you about this and we're really excited about the publication. Um, so I, this is Mary Lynn and um, I think we're so at the beginning of this end of life doula movement that it's a bringing together of a lot of different threads and skills and caregiver roles and um, solidifying them into one cohesive, perhaps more identifiable, more marketable um, uh, title or um, role. And and like any profession at the beginning, you have people coming from all different backgrounds who are who are who have been using different names. And so one of the things that I've been doing as an organizer in this movement is welcoming people into the movement and making sure they know that they can use any title that they want, but that we're trying to funnel it down into eventually using um, something that's more consistent that will help professionals and families alike be able to identify. So we're at that challenging point where we interviewed a lot of different people who are pioneers in this field. And that's why they don't use the same title because they're, they have been doing many different things. And the, the end of life doula title itself has only been around for, I don't know, the earliest um, that we could identify that it was used was um, less than 20 years ago. With our research, because we were able to talk to a range of different practitioners in four different countries, there was a really strong feeling of names are important. Um, And naming practices, particularly at the end of life, is important. Words uh, carry a lot of weight as descriptors. um, And so there's this long history that the end of life doula movement taps into through using words like doula uh, versus somebody who may identify as the death midwife. Um, That also has a long, that word, that descriptor has a long history to it. Um, That is really important to some practitioners. And in Canada, uh, there was a, a death midwife who went all the way to the Supreme Court uh, fighting with the midwives, uh, the birth midwives for the ability to use that name. So I think one of the reasons that there is such a diversity of names is because there is a diversity of practice and 
doulas and midwives and you know some people call themselves soul midwives um, or end-of-life consultants uh, shows that this field really is in the process of developing but at the same time there's all of these historical antecedents that it draws from from the natural birth movement and 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 other uh, cultural and historical movements and so that that naming that nomenclature to me makes that visible that 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 continuity but also the differences that it's trying to highlight just said about the diversity of practice Marion um, what what I found remarkably helpful was the taxonomy taxonomy you've developed in terms of what end-of-life doulas actually do in practical terms it was definitely one of the most robust aspects of our discussion there's some scholarship coming from Australia around uh, death doulas and the work that they do and the role. And so there was, and we wanted to build on that um, because the, the Rawlings study coming out of Australia seemed potentially to imply that this diversity uh, may be uh, a challenge to, to the development of the field, but I'm also interested in how it shows uh, a real diversity and strength uh, through this diversity. And so what we did was we looked at everything that the participants mentioned in the interview as something that uh, a practitioner who was engaging in these forms of community-based care would do um, that they themselves would do, that they knew other people did, uh, and then also looking at what they felt was kind of core practices um, and then things that should not be provided uh, under the auspice of this care role. And because there was such an enormous diversity, the way that we decided to organize it was to look at uh, the aspects that um, were um, physical and social care versus kind of um, the more accompaniment or support uh, because those categories of activities came through the words that the participants continuously used. So um, that would be advocate, support, educate, companion, those kinds of things. And they're great words, but they don't actually describe the content. And so maybe I'll pass it on now to Mary Lynn to, um, to add her perspective in the ways that we looked at this. This was one of the definitely one of the most enjoyable parts of this research because you know as we were interviewing each person, uh, we had a set list of questions, of course, but um, we had to modify it based on what they answered. And so there was people there were people that started out saying those qualifiers of sort of the essence of the role, like championing, championing or accompanying or witnessing or uh, companioning. And, and then there, 
then there were people that, you know, we had to probe a little bit more to say, yes, but what do they actually do? <laughs> so it was really interesting. Um, and, and, but I think that the one thing that we can all agree on is that end of life doulas, doula, the doula role itself, and I like to use the term doula model of care, um, does, does not encompass anything medical. Um, so there's no diagnosing, there's no treating, there's no advising. Um, so walking alongside people is what people think of when they think of not doing those things. It really juxtaposes the role of the doula with somebody in a professional capacity, uh, especially a, a medical capacity. And, and so, um, but then once we did probe that and have that discussion with people, it is very similar what, what everybody does, no matter what they call themselves, which is also very interesting. So the, the part about being with people and just doing what a family member would do, um, like a paid family, you know, a paid companion would do if you need to be um, talking about your life and making meaning and doing life review that day, that's what you do. If you need to um, have help getting dressed, that's what you do. If you need to be driven to a medical appointment or um, be present while somebody's having a, a visit from a, of a, a home care provider to help them um, refer to their list of questions, then you help remind them what their questions are to help them ask, get their questions answered. That's what you do. So it, it's um, it's so such a broad role, but it's it's a companion and everything that's non-medical, and and that's what came out consistently. Thanks so much. Um, that's really really helpful. Um, and as I said, the taxonomy, you know, really, really remarkably helpful for me in understanding what the role does. Um, the final sort of academic question, if you like, that I wanted to ask was: you talk about the movement as a project of reclamation. I can't remember if that's a quote from a participant, or maybe you can clarify. But it's this idea of taking back control from from uh, biomedicine, from health and social care professionals, um, as I understand it. What, what, what you just, you know, what you just said there, Mary Lynn. Um, and I just wondered if you can, I mean, this reminded me a lot of Lynn Laughlin's Craft of Dying book written in the 1970s, in fact, where she kind of categorized, sorry, characterized the um, death awareness movement. And she, in that book, she talks a lot about this, uh, this, uh, this nostalgia um, in the death awareness movement for kind of more traditional ways of dying and that something's kind of been lost in, in the move towards professionalized care. So do you think um, doulas uh, buy into the sense of nostalgia for times past, would you say? Well, and I mean, this is a conversation that Mary Lynn and I have been having over the, the several years that we've been working on this project, you know, and it's a question I ask myself because I'm drawn to it both academically as a scholar in end-of-life care, but I admit to being drawn to it on a personal level as well because one of the challenges I think that we face in our time and place um, for, for many of us in the global north anyway, is that there is a loss of meaning to um, dying and to um, after death practices and that this has created um, a desire to reinscribe those spaces as sacred and, and how do you do that in a secular culture? So that's one aspect. But I think for me, what I see as well is that 
a lot of the participants we spoke with uh, articulated that one of the key things about their role or what they could bring to the person who is approaching the end of their lives is to be kind of an, uh, a bureaucratic organizer of the paperwork that is now required to have a good death in, in the global north. There is a terrifying amount of bureaucracy and paperwork that is required to die well now, and it requires almost a form of expertise. So death doulas or end-of-life doulas or death midwives often have as a substantive portion of their practice dealing with this paperwork. Um, and so rather than necess uh, necessarily being about nostalgia, I, I think that there is, let me rephrase that slightly because I do believe that there is this idealism that is inherent in the practices that we're calling end-of-life doulaship. That idealism about how to uh, create a good death has been with us certainly since we've been able to have records. I mean, uh, we think of Aries, the French historian who is talking about how to achieve a good death in uh, the Middle Ages through uh, the Ars Morendi and certain practices on a community and personal level to prepare the, the soul for the afterlife. You know, we see this also in the Victorian era, where uh, certainly in North America with the American Civil War, uh, mortuary and mourning practices were reconfigured. And you have the rise of these mausoleums and, and graveyards that function as almost parks so that the living can interact with the dead in new ways and bring different but equally important forms of meaning. So I think as time passes, we, have, we inscribe the practices of caring for and dying differently and I see the end of life doula as kind of where we're at right now. There's always been this feeling of crisis around how, how to organize and how to bring meaning to death and dying. And I'm particularly fascinated by the way end of life doulas are doing this because arguably in a way they are actually picking up in the gaps of care that the last form of care promised to provide, which was hospice palliative care. That in the 50s and 60s came about to address these exact same issues, which is either the ignoring the dying or the over-medicalization of dying. And yet a lot of the participants we talked to explicitly referenced the inability of hospice and palliative care to perform their mandate or their original philosophy. So, as you can tell, I have a lot to say about this, but in this notion of it being nostalgic, sure. But I would argue that every form of care that we're providing to those who are at the end of life, in some way are using this narrative of relationships were better in the past during the end of life. And we would like to highlight that. So it's not unique to this form of care. Thank you for listening to this End of Life Studies podcast from the University of Glasgow. To find out more about the work of our group, 
please go to glasgow.ac.uk forward slash end of life studies.